Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. All right, all right. Good morning. How we doing? All right, we got some people in a good mood. I like it. Joy of the Lord is our strength. It's a good day. Oh, it's great to be with you. Um, Jess and I were in Dallas last week. We missed y'all. We were at a Catch the Fire Pastors retreat, and I was encouraged, encouraged is a great word, to, by, um, to be away. You know when you're away and things go really well, and you're like, God, you're so good. I love our team. How many were blessed by Susan last week? That's what I'm trying to get at here. Susan, I just want to take a moment and publicly honor her, did a fantastic job sharing on the life of Joseph. And the same person who's teaching our kids is the one who I'm sitting there, I'm listening back to the sermon, and I'm like, uh, you know what, I actually hadn't thought about it from that perspective before. And I was encouraged by that. I'm like, this is the person who's training and helping train and teach our kids in the Word of God. So praise the Lord for that. And as I said, we were in Dallas at a Catch Fire Pastors Retreat, it's always good to connect with kind of the global family. If you didn't know that, there's lots of different Catch Fire churches around the United States and the world. And so it was great to connect with other pastors. And then we lingered in Dallas to go to a couple churches, one of them being Upper Room. We love Upper Room. Anyone love Upper Room? <laughs> Wonderful church and house of prayer. Honestly felt like family. I was really encouraged there. Love for the presence and worship and Jesus. It was great. It's great. It's great. Are you guys hungry today? Who's hungry? Are you expectant today? It's a good day. We're starting off a sermon series today, a new sermon series on Jesus, on the life of Jesus. This is going to be a three-part series. This could be a 30-part series, but Jesus is kind of the everlasting thing. We always try to bring it back to Jesus, right? He's the well that never runs dry. And in all sermons and all things, we're like, how can we preach Christ? Because Christ is the answer to all things. He is the solution. Without him, it's hopeless. Our great, great Savior. And so today, we're going to be talking specifically about Jesus as our bridegroom. Y'all ready? Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. As you, as you turn there, let me tell you a few things about this book. This book is authored by the Apostle John, and he wrote this when he was exiled on the island of Patmos, and he was exiled there for preaching the gospel in Asia. And prior to, his, to this exile, he spent many years in Ephesus preaching the gospel and preaching all over Asia. And so you'll find in this book, it's addressed to the seven churches in Asia, seven churches that... Uh, John spent time with. And then John goes on and he dives into an account, a vision of the future and the things to come. And in the beginning of the book of Revelation, it says this, it says, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. How many want to be blessed? Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So Lord, I ask that you would bless us this morning. Would you bless us as we open your word? Would you bless us as we open this book? Lord, would you, would you give us understanding? Would you give us sight? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to know? 
hearts to feel and experience you and your words and your nature and your character in flesh through the word of God. Lord, I thank you for the importance of the scripture. I thank you for all that it is to us, that it is, it's just kind of never-ending revelation. And we love you, Lord. Would you bless us today as we read and learn about you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Revelations chapter 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Alleluia, her smoke rises up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen. Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Now we're going to fast forward, jump ahead with me to Matthew 9. Matthew 9, 14. It says this, Then the disciples of John came to him, came to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. As we're kicking off this sermon series, as we're looking at the life of Jesus I want to remind us today that we have all been invited into a glorious wedding. A glorious, glorious wedding. If you didn't realize it, you're engaged. Congratulations. And we have a beautiful bridegroom named Jesus. Beautiful, beautiful bridegroom who is loving and kind and generous and for us. And Revelations 19 speaks of this marriage and speaks of the bride who has made herself ready, who is clothed literally in the righteous acts of the saints. And this is for you and I, this reality of Jesus as the bridegroom and this wedding is important. Tell somebody it's important. (laughs) And the question I want to ask us today is, are we aware of this reality? And if we're aware of this reality, 
How are we living and conducting ourselves? Are we conducting and living as a bride preparing herself for a wedding? Making herself ready for the bridegroom. You see, where's my married couples in the room? Wave your hand at me. I said in the first service, some, some wives are elbowing their husband. You better sound excited right about now. Get your hand up. We know that the, the marriage day, the day that you're getting married, there's preparation, loads of preparation, right, that goes into that day. There's all the practical things, just trying to figure out, like, who's going to be my bridesmaids? Who's going to be the maid of honor? Who's going to be the groomsman? Who's going to be the best man? You're trying to figure out, like, what are people going to do in that awkward hour after the ceremony and the photographer? Wait a second, who's going to be our photographer? Well, we got to figure that out. But then when we have a photographer, who's, like, what is everybody going to do? Because I want lots of photos. <laughs> so we need, like, a little cocktail hour. Wait, what are people going to snack on? What are they going to eat? What are they going to drink? And the, the questions are endless. What sort of music? And you're, you're thinking even about the ceremony itself. What are we going to do? Are we going to have worship or not? Is it going to be traditional or more modern? Are we going to wash each other's feet? We washed each other's feet. I don't know if I recommend it because everybody's just looking at your butt. And do you know how awkward it feels to put socks on wet feet in front of people that are waiting for this thing to happen? What sort of music? You can't dance with wet socks, no. Squishy sound. No, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. Right? Y'all with me? The preparation, practically. And then you have the personal preparation. You're making yourself ready. A bride undergoing, wanting to look her best. Getting her hair and her makeup done. Getting her, her dress fitted just right. Preparing for this beautiful day. And men, we want to look relatively sharp too. We want our suit to look nice. And there's this, this beautiful, beautiful preparation. And there's also the preparation of our heart and ourselves. We encourage anyone getting married here in this house to, to take marriage counseling. And we're preparing ourselves for one another. We're preparing the, a bride, preparing herself for the groom, and a groom preparing himself for the bride. We're hoping to put some tools in our belt so that when we inevitably face storms, we will be a little more equipped, right? And y'all know you're never quite equipped, right? There's nothing like a marriage that's that sort of iron sharpening iron slash, you know, heads butting heads sometimes, right? As y'all are figuring out, you've come from your normals, and now you're trying to figure out your family's normal. But there's this preparation of keeping yourself, of staying pure for that person, of looking forward to that day, of preparing your vows and what you want to say, or the traditional vows that you want to repeat, whatever it is. Because you know that you're not, when you're getting married, you're not just saying yes to somebody, but you are saying no to all others. Often as we counsel young men, and even for myself, I remember this conversation with Duncan when he sat me down. He said, son, the hardest thing often for men is it's not that saying yes to one. It's that in that yes, you're saying no to every other option for the rest of the time. And that's like a sobering thing. That's a, that's a thing that we should take with a sober mind. 
that's like this yes means everything. I'm saying no to all other lovers. And this is true for us. We are invited to this wedding. We are the bride of Christ, his church. And he is a beautiful, beautiful bridegroom. And when we say yes to him, we're not just adding Jesus into our life, but there is a consecrating that is taking place. There is a line being drawn in the sand that I say no to all other lovers, all other false gods, all other idols, and I choose you holy, Jesus. Are y'all with me? I choose you, Jesus. I choose to be pure and righteous in your sight, to live a life worthy of you. And we realize that this life is, as James says, is but a vapor, flash in the pan, but we are made for eternity, right? Provides beautiful perspective, but it's a season of preparation, an opportunity to serve him, to love him, to pour our affections upon our beautiful bridegroom. But often in the busyness of life, it's easy to lose sight of this reality and what it means for us. So today we're going to look at five points. I want, to, I want to bring to our attention what this means for us. The first one is he is coming back. Come on, tell somebody he's coming back. Turn to the person behind you, and if you're looking at the wall, look at the wall and say he's coming back. You're just prophesying the people who are not yet a part of this church, all right? He's coming back. Revelations 22, 12. And behold, I am coming quickly. Say quickly. What does quick mean? Fast. Quickly. And my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Make no mistake, he is coming back. Our beautiful bridegroom is returning. And there's this tension in Scripture. And I recognize that most of us in this room, if not maybe all of us, are like, Pastor, I get it. I, I know he's coming back. Like, duh. But there's almost this secondary subconscious level thought of like, but like, I'm, what does that mean for me? I don't have to worry about that. He's probably not going to come back in my lifetime. He could. The scriptures say that it'll come like a thief in the night. The scriptures say that nobody will know the hour or the time. We don't know, but he could. And he is returning. And he is coming back. And there's almost this tension of the reality that although you don't know, be watchful, be mindful. You're in a season of a bride being prepared for her lover. And that he could come. And it almost provides this sort of perspective and context to live a life not unto this life and storing up earthly possessions, but storing up heavenly treasures. Because when you realize Jesus is coming back, you understand that it's not about us, but it's about him. That our life is not for us, but it's for him. And you begin to live in a way that's selfless, giving your life unto Jesus, unto his commands, unto his ways. Listen, we've all been gave, given the same calling. It's the Great Commission. And we all get to participate here on earth in this 
these commands of Jesus, this, these ways of Jesus. It's beautiful. It helps us not to just be selfish spectators on earth, but to be active participators with Jesus. To realize that our time, our finances, everything, it's, it's finite, right? This is, this is the scripture. Sometimes it's a little uncomfortable, but it is. It's like this, the things of this earth will pass away. Are you alive? Yeah. <laughs> Made new. All the baptized people are like, I better be alive. I just got baptized. You're more alive than the rest of us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, turn there. The second point I want to make is he is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. He is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Come on. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then he goes on and he describes what that love looks like and how he gave his life for the church. In verse 26, it says, To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's a tall order. But this is what Christ has done for us. This is what our beautiful bridegroom Jesus has done for us. He became that, that the man of flesh hung on a cross, living that perfect life, to cleanse us with himself, the living word of God, the living, breathing, rhema word of God, and to wash us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus. And herein, once again, lies this, t- this tension. Don't y'all love the tension slash sometimes hate the tensions of Scripture? It's like, Holy Spirit, help us. Herein lies this tension that Jesus paid everything for us, that Jesus washed us of all unrighteousness, but it's also not permission to do whatever we want, and that there still is a call to be the bride who's preparing herself and making herself ready for his return. There is still this call towards holiness. It's not that we're to live perfect Lives, no, Christ realized we couldn't be perfect. That's the very reason he needed to come. We couldn't fulfill the law. We couldn't do perfection. But who is your, who is your true lover? Who, who do you want to give your time to? Who do you want to be with? Listen, these questions are for me too. In the busyness of life, Paul teaches in Romans kind of this complexity that grace isn't, grace is beautiful and so covering, but it's not permission to do whatever we want. It's this compelling force that calls us to live like Christ. And I believe that a healthy fear of the Lord still exists. It's a fear of the Lord that isn't rooted in punishment of, and death and hell, but it's a fear of the Lord that is rooted in love. And it's a love-filled heart that says, I, 
I, I love you with such an everlasting love. I'm so aware of all you've done for me that I long for nothing else to not grieve your heart. I remember experiencing this as a young man. I radically loved Jesus as a teenager. I had parents that loved Jesus. And when I would mess up, when I would fall short, the, the, the thing that grieved me wasn't this sort of condemnation, but it was this, I've grieved your heart, Lord. And that was the thing that brought me back. It's that beautiful verse of it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, that leads man to repentance. That, Lord, I'm so aware of the price that you paid for me, of the great gift of the bridegroom, that I long, I I just, I don't want to displease you. I don't want to grieve your heart and cause you pain and cause you hurt because I'm so in love with you. So in love with you. Because when we understand the price that Jesus paid, we can no longer carry on kind of flippantly and just saying, I'll live a life of sin, it's no big deal. When we understand the price he paid, we can't live like that. We don't purposely, we can't purposely walk in compromise because you've received the Holy Spirit that is the witness to you. And we understand that his love is not and was not cheap. And we refuse to cheapen it with our lives. And we're no longer thinking, letting little thoughts creep in to the body of Christ as they can. It's, it's okay to get drunk sometimes. And it's okay to sleep with my girlfriend. And it's okay. I'm, I'm not bitter at that person. I just can't stand everything about them. It's okay to change my identity, change my gender. It's okay, whatever it is, insert it. And it might, it might be more subtle than that for you. It might be like, I'm not gossiping about that person. I'm just venting to a friend. And sooner or later, you vented to 10 friends. I'm not jealous or envious of that person. I just, again, I can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. <laughs> Let us be far from compromise. Let us be a, a, a bride that chooses to still walk in holiness, that chooses to still understand that Jesus' price was great for you and I and that he loves us so much. And if you wrestle with any of these things, this isn't to, this isn't to shame you. This is just to say, like, don't make them your identity when we stay in that place and we don't make an effort to continue choosing the love and grace and the character of Christ, that's when it becomes an issue. When we all of a sudden become settled in our compromise. So continue to fight the good fight. Y'all with me? First Peter 1.16 says, be holy for I am holy. When we're living in compromise, we're not living in God's best. He still loves us. He's still so gracious, but it's not his best. Y'all ever have those kind of couples growing up that, you know, certainly in high school, people would kind of talk like this, but you were like, how did he get her? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? 
And often it was like weirder than that. It was like a guy that had already been out of school for a year, was dating a girl in school, and you're kind of like, mm. um, in high school, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, how on earth did that person get with that person? That's us. Congratulations, we are the awkward ones. You are the awkward one in this relationship. We are the, at times, ugly bride. I'm not, I'm not saying this to be rude. I'll just go with it for a second, okay? We are that, that, that bride that's like, how on earth did they score him? Did y'all ever wake up and look in the mirror and just think, oh, that you chose me, my beloved My beautiful bridegroom, Jesus, I am so taken with you. The fact that you chose me still just brings me goosebumps to this day. I know this hits me. I know when, when I, especially when I fall short, especially when I miss the mark, especially when I fall into sin, I'm like, oh God, the fact that you chose me and still choose me, it never ceases to amaze me. It never ceases to blow my mind to be taken with him, to be just radically, beautifully in love with him. That's the kind of love he's given us. His love never grows cold or complacent. And I believe like that is the core thing that every believer, every person is longing for, is to be fully known and fully loved. And only God can provide that kind of love. The kind of love that says, I will know you at your highest of highs and your lowest, most wicked of lows, (laughs) wicked low moments. And I still choose you. And I will continue to choose you. Don't you love Jesus? (laughs) It's so important that we maintain our first love, our infatuation for him. Which leads me to our third point. Prioritize him. Turn with me to Matthew 25, verse 1. You can read it on the screens if you like. Just hear those pages flipping. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you you know neither the day nor the hour. heard this fantastic sermon recently, and the speaker pointed out something I hadn't thought of before, is that it's very clear that all of them were, were consecrated. 
all of them were, were virgins. It doesn't say five were and five weren't. It says that five were foolish and five were not, but all 10 were virgins. All 10, that, what does that mean? It means all 10 were, were, were consecrating themselves for their bridegroom. All 10 expected to be a part of the feast, expected to be invited. All 10 got their lamps, had oil in the lamps, but only five brought extra oil for the journey. And when the bridegroom came, or they heard that he was coming, they didn't have enough oil. And so the five foolish turned to the five wise and said, give us some of your oil. But there wasn't enough for all of them. So as they went to get more oil, they missed this moment. And there was something in this moment likened to oil that they were missing. Even though they were consecrated, even though they expected to be a part of the wedding feast, even though they expected that they were a part of the marriage. And as I was diving into this passage, there's a lot of conjecture, a lot of debate on what the oil represents. The closest thing that we can find, I believe, to this oil, when you look at Scripture, when you look at other representations of oil in the New Testament, when you look at some of the other more end times parables that Jesus taught on, on the kingdom of heaven, That oil is this sort of the vibrancy and life of the believer with the Holy Spirit, if you will. It's almost like that's the it factor. Y'all with me? It's this sort of nature of, of almost like seriousness and relationship and desire unto Jesus and with Holy Spirit. That are, it's not simply this religion, but it's this invitation to walk with Jesus, to walk with the Holy Spirit in relationship to spend time with him, to be with him, to to walk in obedience. I mean, the scriptures talk about it. We don't like to think about it, but like faith without works is dead. That there's almost this aspect of living our faith in Christ that's actionable. To be with him, to, to to be intimate with him, to obey him. All this to say, be in relationship with Jesus, with the bridegroom. Be in relationship with Holy Spirit. Prioritize him. Prioritize intimacy with him. Listen to his voice. Obey his commands. Read your Bibles. Pray. Worship. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It's like you just realize growing up how much of it feels motivated by fear. But when you see him and you behold him, it's, it's no longer from a place of fear. It's from a place of desire. It's like I have tasted and seen and I have glanced and I want nothing more than to be with you. I was in Iceland a few weeks ago with my dad and my brother. And Iceland is the land of waterfalls, and my dad didn't bring any rain gear. So after the first day, coming before this monstrous waterfall that you could walk right up to and just getting absolutely soaked, you best believe we were prepared the next day. That we went to the ice shop, it was called, good old Iceland, the ice shop, and we got him all the rain gear, the rain pants, the rain poncho, everything. And the next time we went to a waterfall, it was like, we're all good. Let us be a bride who is prepared. 
who has adorned herself in those righteous acts of the saints, who take time to be with him. Listen, again, this is a message for all of us. This is a message for me. In the busyness of life, right? May he show us what that looks like to be with him, to spend time with him. The fourth point I want to make is that his return will be glorious. Do y'all believe that? Most of our eschatology has been the Left Behind series for my generation. So we're like terrified of it on some level until you read more and you're like, you know what? Maybe not. Hebrews 9.28 says, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting him, waiting for him. Doesn't that sound like good news? He's coming to save. John 3.17 says, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. He's coming to save. That's his purpose. And so he's coming for those of us who are eagerly awaiting his return. And I'm asking myself this question as I'm reading. I'm like, am I eagerly waiting for his return? As the end of Revelation says, amen, come Lord Jesus. Am I saying, come Lord Jesus? Do I believe it's going to be glorious? Because for those of us who've received Jesus into our hearts, who have received salvation, it's going to be glorious to be with him. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more (laughs) any of it. No more tears. Beautiful, beautiful day. Lastly, my, my final point here. When you fall short in your love for your bridegroom, repent and try again tomorrow. Again, no marriage is without its faults. If you have a perfect marriage, you might as well get up here and lead this church because that's amazing. But no marriage is perfect. And when we mess up, when we fall short, it's, it's not an invitation to further distance ourselves. It's not an invitation to say, our marriage is flawed. I'm sorry, babe. It's just not working out. We're just not getting along and we just got to call it quits. Got to throw in the white towel. It's an invitation to step a little closer. It's an invitation to walk closer in intimacy with our beloved. It's an invitation to say, hey, I'm so sorry for any areas that I've kind of missed the mark. The truth is the kids were getting on my nerves. I really let it get to me more than I should have. I'm not proud of that. And I was grumpy and I'm sorry. That's the invitation, right? To step closer when you're like ships in the night or when you're in that, we call it that roommate phase where you're just roommates. <laughs> and sometimes we just have to say, hey, kind of feels like we're roommates right now. <laughs> Can we change that? <sighs> and you have to step closer in intimacy. Hey, how are you really doing? What's really going on? Did I hurt you? All that. And in the same way, when we get it wrong, when we miss the mark, when we're too busy for the Lord, it's not an invitation to shame ourselves and think this isn't working out, but it's an invitation. He's always giving an invitation that says, step a little closer. And it's our human flesh that says, no, I'm unworthy of your love. I'm unworthy to receive love. I can't think of anything worse than to come close to you. And that's what the enemy wants us to think. 
But he's saying, no, come a little closer, my beloved. Draw a little closer. Our bridegroom is beautiful and loving and kind and good and generous. In him there is no fault. In him there is no hidden past that you're going to find out about down the road. He is above reproach. There's no secret sin that he's withholding from you. He is beautiful and kind. And he's so for you. He's so for us. Aren't y'all grateful for that? Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Never. I feel the quickening of the Lord. And I'm like, some of y'all need to hear that. It never ceases. Y'all might have thought it ceased, but the scriptures say that the steadfast love of the Lord has never ceased in your life. His mercies never come to an end. Never. Man, I should have read this more growing up. This is good. I'm like, this is really good. They are new every morning, his mercies. Great is your faithfulness. That'll preach. The steadfast love of the Lord, say, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new when? Every morning. And great is what? His faithfulness. If you have been far from him, there is no time like the present to draw a little closer. And it doesn't do you any good to just sit in a pool of self-pity and shame. I, this is a sobering moment. I've had to tell myself that time and time again. It doesn't do me any good to just sit in my own self-pity when he's not putting that pity and self-pity on me. He's inviting me closer. Every time he's saying, come here, come here. And he's holding me and embracing me and loving me. It's an invitation to just say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I choose you today. Your mercies are new for me today. So I choose you. Would you draw close to me? Mm. May we joyously await his return. May we be infatuated with him. May you know how much he cares about you, that he is setting a banquet and a feast and a marriage supper for you like never seen before. And he is coming. Would you stand with me? And just ask for a couple more minutes of your time. And I'm going to ask for us just to commune with him for a moment. So just make yourself unaware of your friends, unaware of your spouse, unaware of anybody around you. Close your eyes and just welcome him. Lord, I welcome you. Jesus, come and have your way. Lord, thank you that you draw near to us.
There's never been a moment, there's never been a day that you weren't right there by our side. Help us to stop being dumb and doing it alone. (laughs) That's my prayer anyways. (laughs) Help us to quickly turn to you, to come to you, to be with you. God, I ask our prayer today is that you would return us to first love. Come on, if you want that, just pray that for yourself. Lord, return me to first love. I want you to ask him, Lord, would you show me what it looks like to follow you? He might be saying, listen, come a little closer, get up a little earlier. He might be saying, take a break from that podcast and just worship me on your drive. He might, whatever that looks like, he's just saying, come a little closer. Commune with me a little deeper. He longs nothing more than to draw close to us. If you're here and you're like, yeah, that kind of is me. My love's a little cold. Just don't beat yourself up about it. Just ask him, Lord, would you, would you breathe on the coals of my heart? Would you fan your flame? Would you help me to see you rightly? God, would you remove distractions from me? Help me to say no. ask our ministry team to come forward. And if you're here today and you don't know this man, Jesus, by hearing about this beautiful man who's given everything for you, you want to give your life today to Jesus. I want to invite you to come to the front when we close and ask somebody to pray with you a prayer of salvation. He is so for you. He loves you so much. Even when we mess up, even when we sin, he just, he loves us. He's he's crazy about you. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to see you as our bridegroom. To know that you are coming quickly, that it would provide us with perspective to live our lives devoted to you to not live selfish lives only for our own desires, but to live a life for you, Jesus. Would you remain the object and pursuit for us? In the mighty name of Jesus, we love you. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.